Grab your Bible and turn with me to Isaiah 43, which is where we were last week, Isaiah 43. And um, last week I started a new series of messages um, called What's New? And and the reason I did was I had so many people saying, I can't wait to get back to normal. And I kept feeling like God wanted us not to go back to normal, but to go forward to what was new. And I even heard some people say, well, what is next? Because if you've lived in 2020, it kind of feels like, well, what is last night? My youngest Briggs, it was over here. He's like, and he just started listing 2020 and what all's happened. And he's like, dad, it's, we're only like five months into the year. You know, with everything that has happened with COVID, obviously now with what we're dealing with now with COVID, we also have, um, you know, social injustice and things that that have been brought to the forefront, which I'm glad. And I think we need to do something about that. And, and, and I think that we need to work towards that. And I've been praying about how I might address that. And so I'm working on that. But I, I want our church to be sensitive to social injustice, and I want us to do our part. And and it's not a we can't we can't look to Washington because it's not a legal issue. It's not a legislative issue. Uh, it's a heart issue. And the church is the only entity uh, on the planet that is responsible for impacting the heart and transforming the life. And and so the answer has got to come from the church. And the first thing the church has to do is say we believe there's a problem. You know, so so empathy is not enough, and even just acknowledgement is not enough, right? We 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 have to say, okay, there's a problem, and and we need to figure out how to apply the gospel to it, right? That's what the church is for. So so he was just walking through all these different things, and I was just like, man, it has 2020 seems like it's lasted for 20 years, as far as I'm concerned. I'm like, holy cow! And uh, so, anyways. Um, but people, because it said, I want, to, I want to get back to normal, or people said, what's next? And I just felt from the Holy Spirit, it's not about what's next, it's about what's new. It's about the new thing that God wants to do in the midst of the thing that we're in. And that brought me to Isaiah 43. And last week, we talked about the nemesis of new, which is old. We talked about how God is the God of now and new, and we're the God of then and old. Like we don't always love change, but change is the only constant that exists, right? You are changing today, whether you like it or not. You may have another gray hair. Like the other day I had someone say, well, you have so much gray in your beard. Like I haven't noticed this before. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, thank you for making me feel self-conscious about it. And I'm going to get me some just for men and get that taken care of. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, and so... Um, Anyways, so you're changing, we're changing, the world's changing, it's the only constant. And we tend to hold on to what is old because it's comfortable and it's familiar and it's predictable, right? But God is always pushing and, and wooing and drawing and compelling and stirring us to embrace something new. And so we're talking about that. Isaiah 43, 16 uh, is where we're going to be. This is really the scripture we we shared last week, but I have some more. Last week was the introduction. So if you missed it, it's on YouTube, the app, podcast, however you listen to it. I know everybody's like, I'm tired of looking at screens. Well, you can download the podcast, you know, and just listen to it. Um, but Isaiah 43, 16, it says this. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew off the chariots and horses, the army and the reinforce and, and reinforcements together. So this is talking obviously about the exodus and the victory in the Red Sea where, where all the Egyptian army drowned. Um, he said, and, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. And I just, I said this last week, but I just love it, how the enemy, you, the enemy draws this biggest gun into God. It's like a, like blowing out a candle. You know what I'm saying? It's just, I like that. Anyways, but this is what he says, but forget that or forget the former things. It's kind of incredible because Isaiah, remember he is writing and uh, he is prophesying uh, Israel going into Babylonian captivity or captivity by the Assyrians and the Babylonians. And he prophesies it over a hundred years before it happens. And then he actually prophesies Persia throwing, overthrowing Babylon so that they can come. So Israel can be released and come back to the promised land. But now you have, I mean, they were in captivity 70 years. You have another generation and they have to leave now all that they've known and cross this wilderness to get back to the homeland. Right. And, and so he, I, the prophet is now referencing 
Um, the greatest victory they would have been familiar with, the one that would have transcended generation and been talked about year after year, which was this victory at the Red Sea. And they're like, this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. This is huge. This is amazing. It's like, you know, the bulls three-peating twice, but even bigger. Are, are you with me? Okay. And so anyways, um, and so, and so he references it only to tell them, forget about that. Because what God wants to do is more, it's greater. So God only does, oh, write this down. God only does a new thing because the new thing is better than the old thing. Right? God doesn't diminish, decrease, go backwards. So God doesn't invite us to a new thing because, and, and the new thing be less than the old thing. Right? It's from glory to glory is the way God leads. Are you with me? And so, so many times when God is pulling us towards something new and we're stressed about it, if you can just remember, if God is pushing me this way, compelling me, drawing me, this new thing must be better than what I have today. Because if you can start seeing the new is better than what you have, it's easier to let go of what you have because you will have to let go of what you have to take hold of what is new. Are you with me? So he said, remember all that, now forget all that, right? That's what he said. Don't dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? You may want to underline that in your Bible. That's what we're going to talk about today. Do you not perceive it, right? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland, streams in the wasteland. So I called this message, perception is everything. I'm doing a new thing. Now I'm doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? Perception is everything. Let's, let's pray for a minute. Father, thank you so much for your word. Bless it, anoint it, challenge us with it, transform us by it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, Perception is everything. So what does that mean? Well, I think everybody's probably familiar with the phrase, thus the reason I use it as the title, but it just means this. It means that the way I see things, the way I understand things creates a reality for me, right? So, so I could actually believe something's real that's not real based on my perception. So I have a group of pastors, we're all buddies and, and the Unite guys, and I remember when we were putting that together, uh, uh, Tim and I, Pastor Tim and I were, were talking and, and he was talking about Pastor Stephen and, and he said, you know, I've talked to Pastor Stephen. He's going to be a part. I'm like, that's great. And, and he said, he said, you know, Pastor Stephen doesn't think that you like him. And I was like, really? He said, yeah. Now, one thing you need to know about me, if you haven't figured this out about your pastor, I have a, a resting frowny face. We're just going to call it that an, an RFF as to keep it PG and not get anybody in trouble, okay? I have a resting, frowny face, right? I inherited this. It, it, and, and so my natural facial disposition just kind of looks like this. Like, where's the camera? It looks like this. Now, I wish it looked like, it was, I wish it looked like this. I do. But after a while, my cheeks hurt. So I let it go back to normal, which is... And so I realized I have an RFF. I got that. This is something new I just created, by the way. Put, in the, put it in the chat, RFF, right? We just cleaned that up for everybody. And some people are like, I don't know what we cleaned up. You don't need to know. And so... And so I, I told Pastor Tim, I'm like, I, I don't know him that well. I'm like, that, that you know, kind of hurts my feelings. Like, I'm sorry he feels that way. Like, and I made this statement. I said, I got no problem with him. And so that became one of our mantra phrases. So if you hear us talk to each other, we're like, yeah, no, no, I got no problem with that guy. I got no problem with him. But anyways, and we've all talked about it. And it's all great. And it's now just a joke. But here's the thing. His perception was, whether it was my RFF or whatever, his perception was, I don't think that guy likes me. And that became his reality, which was sad because I'm like, I haven't got a chance to not like you because I don't know you that well. <laughs> or a chance to like you. <laughs> Just kidding. No, they're all amazing guys. And, um, and so, so, so perception creates reality, right? And your reality, what if your reality is not even real? It's just yours. And what if your reality is keeping you from God's reality 
And what if your old reality is keeping you from God's new real thing? God's real new thing. And that's really what I want to talk about. Write this down. Three things where God, I think, wants to challenge us, where we need something new. We need something new. The first one is you need a new sense. You need a new sense. Look at what he says. He says, now, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. And then he says this, but don't you perceive it. Now, I'm going to submit to you. He was not talking to blind and deaf people. Right? But he's saying, do you not perceive it? In other words, don't you see it? Don't you understand it? He's talking to people that have, um, uh, you know, that, that, that at least have an average cognizant, you know, mental and intellectual capacity that have vision as a people. But he's actually making the point, you could actually miss what I'm doing if you're not able to perceive it. And he's implying that the perception is not just by your physical eyes or ears or the intellectual capacity that you have. He's almost implying you need something new to see the new thing that I'm doing. Do you not perceive it? Um, Galatians 5.25, Paul said this, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. We live by, so, so we all know this, we don't walk by sight, we walk by, all right, so we're not actually supposed to maneuver based on our, abil- our, our, our ability to see. God, Paul's actually saying you, you need to rely on something else. That's exactly what Isaiah is saying. To see the new thing that I'm doing, you have to rely on something new. You have to rely on a different way of seeing, a different way of knowing, a different way of understanding. And, it, and the Holy Spirit is who empowers you with those things, with a way to see, with a way to understand, with a way to know. Are you with me? And so he's actually saying you have to rely more on the Holy Spirit to see the new thing that I'm doing. It's such a burden for me in church. I think we, if we're not careful, we'll rely on technology or we'll rely on our giftings or we'll rely on our ability or we'll rely on, and, 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 and to me, like the burden that I feel for the church is we have to rely more on the Holy Spirit than we ever have because he gives us the ability to see, the ability to know, the ability to hear. Let me show you what I'm talking about. This is Paul to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. It says, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen. So you see that? No eye, no eye has seen it what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived. So your eye hasn't seen, your ear hasn't heard, your mind has not conceived the things God has prepared for those who love him. Now look at verse 10. These are the things, so talking about these same things you you didn't see, you didn't hear, you didn't conceive. These are things that are revealed to us by the Spirit. In other words, without the Holy Spirit, you'll miss it. Same thing Isaiah is saying. See, God's saying, I'm doing something new, but you might miss it unless you're walking in step with the Holy Spirit. Unless you're allowing the Holy Spirit to help you see, to help you hear, and to help you understand what I'm doing, you might actually miss it. It's not that you're blind. It's not that you're deaf. It's not that you're lacking anything intellectually, but you need a different sense. You need a new sense. You need a new way to know and a new way to see, and that comes by the Holy Spirit. Now, let me illustrate it. Second Kings Chapter six. Let me show you this. Second Kings chapter six. So, so what's happening? So the king of Syria keeps wanting to attack Israel, but every time he makes a really good plan to attack Israel, right? Then, then Elisha um, gets gets the intel from the Holy Spirit and tells the king of Israel what they're going to do. And he's like, don't go to that place. And the king's like, I trust you. And then the king of Syria is like, spoiled again. You know, so it's like some crazy Wally Coyote and, you know, anyways. And so, and so the king of Syria gets mad. And he's like, what's going on? And one of his eyes said, look, I don't know how you combat this, but the king of Israel has this prophet guy and he seems to know whatever you say in the privacy of your own bedroom. Like he's got intel. So the king of Syria says, well, then the way I get to the king of Israel, I got to kill the prophet. So the prophet and his assistant are are kicking it at a town called Dothan, right? And his assistant gets up one morning to make the Starbucks run, and he walks outside. That's what he said. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Because now here's all the, the armies 
right? The king of, the king of Syria has sent the Syrian armies and they're surrounding Dothan. And he goes inside and he tells Elisha, it's been good. We had a good run, boss. Like, I don't regret any moment of it, but I think I'm going to regret the end of it. And Elisha says, this is verse 16, 2 Kings 6. He says, oh, don't be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Right. Verse 17. Then Elisha prayed and said, oh, Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. Time out. Time out. Was he blind? No, because he saw all the Syrian army, right? But Elijah said, open his eyes. You know, I love this text because Elijah prays for his eyes to be open and then he prays for the Syrian army's eyes to be shut. Like read the text. It's the greatest. It's like one of the greatest stories because he says, Elijah says, now God open, open his eyes. And he's like, whoa, right? And then Elijah turns around and says, now close their eyes. And, and, and it wasn't that God made them blind. It was that God took away their ability to perceive. Because then Elisha led them right into Israel. Like right into Samaria, the capital of Israel. Which was the enemy, which was the good guys, right? God's people. And then all of a sudden they come to and they're like, oh crap. <laughs> Rot row raggy, you know what I mean? Like, and listen, victory and captivity was all about who could perceive and who could not. Are you, did you write that down? Put that in the chat. What camera would that put that in the chat? <laughs> victory, captivity was all about perception. Who could perceive what God was doing and who could not perceive what God was doing? So think about this. So, oh, we got to read the text so you know how it turns out. At least this part of it. It says, Elijah prayed, O Lord, open his eyes that they may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of chariots of horses and chariots of fire bum, 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 around Elisha. Right? Now think about this. Okay? God did not change his circumstance. Was the army of Syria still there? Yes. All God did was change the way he saw it. Maybe your victory is not contingent upon God moving. It's contingent upon you seeing. Are, are you hearing what I'm saying? God didn't change the circumstance. He changed the perception of it. He, he, changed, he, changed, he changed how it looked. In other words, God didn't start moving when Elijah started praying. Because Elijah didn't even pray for God to move. He prayed that his servant, most think Gehazi, and then there's some debate about that. But anyways, he prayed that he would just be able to see what God was already doing. God didn't show up when he prayed. All the prayer did was allow him to see that God had been there all along. Let's just want that. That was like some really good like truth bombs, like making you think, getting all in your business. All right, so... So what he saw wasn't something that was new. He just had a way of seeing something that God was already doing. Maybe you don't need something new. You need a new way to see the old thing. Right? 
right? Because the army was there and God's army was there. And when God opened his eyes and gave this perception, it wasn't that God even started doing a new thing. I mean, I guess it was, but it was that God allowed him to see what he was already doing in the thing that would have been technically the old thing, but God was working in it. And so, so many times we think we need, and when we talk about, oh, new things, I want God to give me new things. I want, I want a new car. I want a new job. I want new things. And God may not want to give you a new thing. He may want to give you a new way of seeing the old thing. Are, are you, are you with me? So, so, so maybe, 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 maybe connected to stepping into the new thing that God has is based on a new sense. So here's the first, first one, new sense. Here's the second thing, a new mindset, a new mindset. Now I want you to think because all of these build on each other. So let me tie these first two, because when I see something new, I, I, I think something new. Because Gehazi, Elisha's servant, went from thinking we're dead to thinking we're winning. But it was all based on perception. So when I perceive something new, I think something new. Um, Romans 12, 2, I love it. It says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed to the renewing of mind. Now, I've preached this sermon. I've preached this message, Romans 12. I love the book of Romans. I've preached Romans. I've taken it apart in Bible school. I know all about Romans 12, okay? I know in the, I've looked at it in the Greek, studied in the Greek, studied, read the commentaries. But I saw it a little bit differently, you know, which is really what I like to do is see things differently. Because it said, how many know this verse? You all yeah, know this verse. Raise your hand at home. Just participate. All right. So, you know, this. put a hand emoji in the chat. You know, so anyways. Um, but what I saw was don't be. And, and, and I took off the prefix on both words. And it's the same word formed. Don't be conformed. Be transformed. And so I took the words apart in English. Uh, obviously, not not the Greek. I'm not that good with Greek. All right, so um, I like Greek yogurt, but um, <laughs> and some Greek food I enjoy, you know. And I don't. Anyways, uh, so anyways, um, but I realize he's saying so. And I've talked about this. You know, the world conforms us outside in. God transforms us inside out, and all that. But but break it apart. You can. Here's, here's, so let's start with this. If you break it apart, here's one thing that is absolute about every person that is listening and watching right now. You're being formed. There, there's no non-formed. You're being conformed or you're being transformed. So right now, today, all of you, what we all have in common is you're being formed. Right? You're either being conformed or transformed. So let's talk about conformed. Break it apart. You're being conned. So what is a con? Someone tricks you or deceives you. Welcome to this world. Welcome to the enemy of your soul. The, the little God of this world, Satan, is trying to con you in order to form you. Because he doesn't want you to be the true version of you, so he alters his perception of you or tries to alter your perception of you to con you into being formed the wrong way. Are you with me? So he's the father of lies, so he lies to you about everything. How do you know Satan's lying? If his mouth is moving. And so he tells you who you're not and what you can't be and what you can't do and what this meant and what that meant and what you're walking through means because he is trying to sell you on something that is not real because if he can con you, he can form you. Are you with me? And then what does the Holy Spirit do? Transforms. What's the word? Trans Transcend. So what he's trying to do is form you in a way that transcends what you've been through, what you've done, what they said. Oh, this is so good. Are you with me? While the enemy is taking these things and trying to con you, the Holy Spirit is looking at those things and saying, no, you transcend that because you're the seed of God. You're the heir of the world. You've got the Holy Spirit in you. You are God's child. You overcome, right? And he is trying to transcend your circumstances trying to transcend your situation, trying to transcend the stinky way that you think. Yes. 
Because, listen, how you are formed has a lot to do with how you think. Not even necessarily what you think, but how you think. Okay, Numbers, numbers, um, numbers 13. So I like Numbers 13. Very familiar passage. This is where the spies are sent into the land of Canaan to spy it out and come back until, you know, God's, God's kids, we can go take the land or whatever. So we know the story. One, one spy from, from each tribe, 12 spies go into the land. Two of them come out, Joshua and Caleb, we can take the land. Ten of them come out like there are giants in the land, as though they had intel God didn't have. Have you ever tried to explain to God why what he has promised you isn't possible? You don't have to raise your hand. You can just say, oh, me. <laughs> right? Isn't that interesting how we do that? Do you know what it's based on? Your perception. You see how I did that? You didn't see it. I just snuck up on you. Mm -hmm. It's like a power up. You didn't even see it coming. And then I hit the button. <laughs> It was like that thing when we're playing Smash Brothers and, and y'all tell me to hit B because my guy's flashing and then all of a sudden he puts one of you in a coffin and wraps it with a chain and <laughs> power up. That's what I did right there. I did a power. <laughs> y'all are like, what are you talking about? It's okay. We know. It's just, it's comical for me to play Smash Brothers with my boys. I don't win, but I talk a lot of trash. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> Anyways, but I snuck up on you because, because it was all based on perception. It was all based on perception. Could we go in? Could we take the promise or could we not? It's based on perception. Look at this, Numbers 13, because what I realized is when our perception is wrong, our thinking is wrong, and when our thinking is wrong, we actually learn to protect crappy thinking. So let me show you this in the Bible. It's so cool. I never saw this till this week. So it's new to me. I'm gonna let it be new to you. Okay, so Numbers 13, 27. So this is, they come back and 10 of them are gonna give the bad report. Two of them are gonna give the good report. So verse 27, Numbers 13, it says, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk. Like God, your promise is good. I agree. I agree, God, it would be good. It flows with milk and honey. Like, God, I know you promised me breakthrough or you promised me a miracle. Or you promised me that I can be free or you, whatever. It, it's good. God, what you promised me is good. I mean, here's the fruit of it. Like, I've, I get it. Verse 28. But whew, don't let a big butt get in the way of your promise. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but the people, <laughs> I'm going to get an email on that one. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. And we even saw descendants of Anak, which are giants. We saw giants. So, so, so here's, here's where the, the stinking thinking, what is stinking thinking? What is bad thing, crappy thing? Whatever you want to call it. It's thinking that's incongruent with God's word. So, so it's incongruent with the promise of scripture because here's what God said. No, this is your land. I'm going to drive the in inhabitants out because this is yours. In fact, he even told them the only reason there are inhabitants in there is to maintain the land for you. Because if I, if I flushed them all out at the same time, the land would be too much. So how many know we, sometimes we have to grow into our promise? And so God will actually let somebody else manage our promise until we grow into it but it's still ours to grow into. This is great preaching, okay? And so, and so I'm just as surprised as you. And so, um, so, so here it is. The, 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 the wrong thinking, the wrong perception is it's incongruent with Scripture. This is why you have to know. The Bible tells you whose you are, it tells you who you are, and it tells you what you have. And you can't let anyone talk you out of what the Bible is trying to talk you into. Are you with me? And so, so it's incongruent with God's word. Now let's look at where it goes. Numbers 13, 31. But when the men who had gone with them, th then, so Joshua and Caleb try to quiet the crowd. That's the missing verse, verse 29 and 30. They're like, no, 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 we can take the land. But the, but, but the men with the crappy thinking, Numbers 13, 31, but these men had gone up with them and said, no, we can't attack these people. Look at this. They are stronger than we are. Here's, here's, here's so stinking thinking, incongruent with scripture. Number two, write this down, self-centric and not God-centric. God never asked them how good they could fight. 
God did not evaluate the strength of the people because the promise, oh, this is so good. Inheriting the promise was not based on the strength of the people. It was based on the strength of their God. And the enemy would love for you to take an inventory of you and determine that you're not strong enough. But what God promised you was never about how strong you were. It was about how strong he was. And, oh, this is good. And God will never ask you to do something that you are strong enough to do. He will never ask you to do something that is possible for you. Are you with me? God will only ask you to do something that you are not strong enough, not capable enough, not gifted enough, not good enough, that, that not even possible. That's what, how do you know God called you to it? If it's possible, it's not God. I hope you're clapping at home because I expected more after all of that in the room. Like I'm out of breath. I'm sweating. Like probably burned a thousand calories, right? No, 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 no. It's too late now. You've hurt my feelings. It's too late. No. Now it's like, it's, it's, a, yeah, it's too late to apologize, Justin Timberlake. Okay, so <laughs> I'm just playing with you. But God, God will never call you to what's possible. Okay, so, so how do I know bad thinking? Incongruent with scripture, self-focused or self-centric and not God-centric. But here's the problem we have. So, so this is how I know bad thinking. But then what do I do with it? Well, here's what we're tempted to do is what they do. Is that, that when bad thinking is challenged, we tend to protect it as opposed to surrender it. Let me show you, because we know Joshua and Caleb, like, no, we can go into the land, right? And so in verse 32, it says this, they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. Now, is that true? No, no they embellished it. Why? To protect bad thinking. Isn't that interesting? Instead of surrendering it to the word of God, they decided to protect it. So the way they protected it was they ramped it up, embellished it, right? And, and they said, no, 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 no. The land devours those who are living. Like, I mean, there's just no hope for us. All the people we saw there are giants. And so they upped their game. Isn't it, isn't it, like, this is one of you know, bad thinking. Incongruent with scripture, right? Um, Self-centric, not God-centric. And then when someone lovingly confronts it with truth, you protect it by rationalizing it or embellishing it or making it your case, making your case for it as though you're a special case for thinking badly. Right? Have, have you ever met somebody they're going to be a victim no matter what? Right? And, and, and they're always the victim and they're always going to be the victim. That's all they know how to be. And no matter how you confront it, they always come back around to they're justified in their victimhood because they had it worse than you. Right? And they went through something you didn't go through or they think, you know, and, and here's what they do. You're trying to say, no, 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 you don't have to be a victim because God leads all of us in triumph in Christ Jesus. Like he, he's created you to be the victor, not the victim. And what they will do, well, you don't know my story. They will up their game to protect stinking thinking. But if we're not careful, we will too. Because when we don't want to trust God for something that makes us uncomfortable or something our perception is, we could never get there, never go there, never become that, never do that, never walk in that. It, it won't be long. And we will be rationalizing staying where we're at. And the justification will be, well, but this is my story. This is what I've been through and you don't really know and you haven't been. And we will actually fight to protect perceptions and thinkings that are incongruent with scripture and very self-centric. And then they did one more thing. Let me show you this. Uh, numbers, because, because we can't leave it there. That wouldn't be, because there's still this conflict of someone, God's calling me to something greater, but I'm explaining to him why that's not possible. And then Numbers 13, 33, it says, we saw, basically they saw the giants. And then it says this, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. So now whose thinking is that? Theirs. Now look what they say next. And we look the same to them. Now, did they interview them? No. I thought they were spies. Do you think they sat down and said, listen, descendants of Anak, we're just wondering, how do y'all see us before we go to battle? I just kind of want to know what's your perception. Do we look strong to you or how do you feel about us? You know, just wondering. But look what they do. 
And this is what we do when we're protecting terrible thinking. We start to normalize it. This is the way everybody sees it. Let me say it another way. This is the way everybody sees me. Oh, I, I can't change because of this. And, and, and everybody kind of knows that. This is just kind of accepted. This is the way everybody. And you know what happens in that moment? You've been conned. And you've been formed through the con. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. We need a new way to see and perceive. Right? But we also need a new way to think. And perception affects how we think. And the Holy Spirit says, no, I want to transcend the way you think. The way you see. The way you feel about you. Right? Here's the third thing. Write this down. And then we need a new faith. So we need a, a new sense. Um, we, we need a new mindset. And we need a new faith. Now, I want you to see the progression. Perception is reality. How I perceive affects how I think. And how I think affects what I believe. As a man thinks in his heart, he believes he is, right? So is he, right? So, so this is so important because the Holy Spirit, for us to step in to what is new, we have to have a new way to see, to perceive, so that we can think a new way, so that we can believe with a new faith. Now, Romans one uh, seventeen, kind of the apex of the introduction, or Paul's introduction Romans. It says something that I think some people have maybe mistaken, in my opinion, and when you look at the Greek of it, and I'm not a Greek scholar, I just have a really, really awesome Bible program um, and YouTube. And so um, <laughs> Romans 1, 17, it says, for the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God, so the good news says the righteousness of God is revealed, and this righteousness, Paul makes this, it's a righteousness that is by faith, in other words, not by works. So the righteousness of God is revealed, and you say it this way, um, a righteousness that is by faith, and then he says this in the NIV, because I use this version because I think it's the most accurate, a righteousness that is by faith from the, from the first to the last. Now, I grew up in New King James and all that, and it said, uh, you know, this righteousness of God is revealed um, um, uh, from faith to faith, from faith to faith. And, and the reason I don't like that is because I think we can sometimes be conned in becoming self-centric about our faith instead of God-centric about his grace. And we'll make faith a work because we'll say, oh, from faith to faith, meaning I have to have more faith. I have to grow in my faith. And I think there's a maturing of faith, but I want to be careful that we understand what faith is. Faith is what appropriates grace. So the focus has to be grace and not faith. Faith is relevant and important, but, but let me put it this way. <clears throat> Let's say, if you ever use a withdrawal slip at your bank, Right, so and they're about yay big, right? Yeah. And you know what's amazing is you, if you got a million dollars in the bank, you can take this little bitty piece of paper like this, and you can withdraw a million dollars. And you know what? It, it, if you've got uh, no money in the bank, you could get a withdrawal slip that's the size of a poster board, and it wouldn't withdraw anything because <laughs> there's nothing there. So the transaction is not based on the size of the median. It's based on the understanding of what's in the account. What appropriates it is almost, it's not irrelevant, there's definitely a relevance to it, but it's almost less relevant than what is being appropriated. Because if I don't believe there's anything in the account, it doesn't matter how big my withdrawal slip is. It doesn't move anything. But if I believe there's something in that account, I can have a little bitty card and pull millions out of that account. Are you with me? So when we talk about from faith to faith, I like to think of it this way. Instead of putting pressure on me, to have more faith, I like to put the pressure on, on me to understand more of God's grace. I think that this verse, what Paul is saying is the gospel is revealed 
from application to application of the faith that you have. That, that, that when we come to Christ, we have this faith that God is, that, that God has sent his son and, and he paid for our sin and his sacrifice was, was good enough for me. Right? And so we, by faith, appropriate grace. It's an application of the faith that we have. Now, the reason I don't want to put emphasis on, on growing faith, because Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, which is the smallest seed, right? So Jesus seemed to emphasize that it just takes a little, but it, it has to have a little with an understanding of what is appropriating, which is infinite. Right? So what I like to think that Paul is saying is, so I come to Christ and Christ is my Savior. That is how I have appropriated faith for the grace. But what about Christ is my healer? What about in my relationships or in my finances or Christ as my deliverer from addiction or, or Christ who, who um, gives me peace if, if I'm struggling in, in something emotional or whatever the case may be. And so now what, what Paul is actually saying is there's never going to be a time where you're not having to apply faith because God is always, for all that God has purchased, he is always going to require you to walk in faith and there's always going to be an, another level of application of the faith that you possess. In other words, you're always going to have to trust in it more. You always have to trust in God. God's never going to let you be comfortable with your understanding. He's going to create mystery because the tension of mystery is where faith is needed because if you understand it, you do not need faith for it. And so he is saying from the beginning to the end, here's what he's saying. There will never be a time in your life as a believer where faith is not required. God, God is too good and has too much for you to let you live where faith is not required. He will always provide another application of faith. And that may be forgiveness and it may be provision, but it's another application of faith. Are you with me? And so for the new thing that God wants to do, there's always a new application of faith. Um, James 2.26 is where James, chapter 2 is where he's talking about, you know, um, you, you say you don't have to have works to have faith. I'll show you my faith by my works. Without, without you know, works, faith is, is dead. And I want to show you this in verse 26 because I like the way this version says it. It says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works just as the body is dead without breath. So what happens if your body stops breathing? It suffocates, right? It asphyxiates, right? It's, so, so what he's saying is, th think about this. First of all, he's saying you can have dead faith or you can have living faith. I don't think they're, I say it this way. Let me try to, I want to make this nice because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings and get an email. Sometimes I don't think it, that, that people are faithless. I just think they have dead faith. Uh, the Bible says to every man is given a measure of faith. So the fact that we have faith is actually the grace of God. Right? And I think what has happened is some people have dead faith because they don't do anything with their faith. It doesn't mean they haven't done anything with it. It means they're not doing Think about this. This is what dead faith is. Dead faith doesn't mean you haven't believed. It means right now you're not in the tension of believing. So you could be someone who has been born again, but then you stopped there. You didn't lean into the next mystery or the next tension or the next thing. You didn't apply it any more than that. And, and what James is saying, you got dead faith because you have faith that's not doing anything. And, and, and for, for faith to be alive, faith is a workaholic. It has to keep working. So you're not saved by works. You are saved for them. God has a plan for you. He has stuff for you to do. And so faith is how we do the stuff. It's how we apply the gospel and the grace to 
to move forward into the new thing, into the new thing, into the new thing, into the new era. And so it's possible to have living faith, which is faith that is being applied and active and activated that is doing something. And it's possible to have had faith and it now be dead faith because you're not doing anything new with it. And I liked using this verse because it says, as the body dies without breath, <laughs> so faith dies without works. I like the picture because here's what he's saying. If you stop breathing, you suffocate the body. And if you stop working, you suffocate your faith. And I just thought, man, how many times have I been guilty of suffocating my faith? of smothering my faith by not embracing the new thing, by not moving forward into the tension, by trying to live in the land of understanding because understanding doesn't require faith. And understanding that the life that God has called us to, yes, we grow in understanding. This is the application because we'll grow in understanding of application or understanding of salvation, but then God creates a mystery where we don't understand how God does healing and then we have to apply faith there. And we don't understand how God does relationships and we have to apply. And we don't understand how God does finances and we have to apply. And we don't understand how God delivers and we have to apply. And we don't understand how we forgive and we have to, and, and we're, we have to keep applying so that our faith can keep breathing. And when we stop applying, it's dead because we suffocate it. And I just thought, God, what is it like? Here's a great question. What is it like, God, in this season for us to make sure our faith is breathing? What does it look like for me in this season of what you want to do? Because I'll never get to, listen, perception equals thought equals faith, right? So how I perceive, how I think, and how I know creates a way that I think, which allows me to believe in a way that I've never believed. And what I would say, that is normal Christian life. We would call it repentance. That's one word for all of that right? Truth, perception, changes my thinking. That's where the word repent, change your mind. Why? So I can believe in trust as I've never believed in trust before. And my thought is for what God wants to do in and through us and in and through your life, individually, corporately, however we apply that, what's the new way we need to think? How, how can we rely on the Holy Spirit more for perceiving so we don't miss it, so we can be transformed so that we can let our faith breathe. Is that good? You got it? And that's something you got to work out. But don't suffocate your faith. Let it breathe. Live in the tension of the unknown. It's the evidence of what you can't see. Right? It's supposed to be attention. And what I'm saying, God, for what you want to do in and through Pathway, for what is next for us, let it be something we can't do. Let it be something that creates tension where we have to believe you as never before. Challenge our old thought patterns. Challenge our old ways. Grant us perception by the Holy Spirit so we can lean in to what's new. Amen. Come on, can you give Jesus praise today for the word? If you're in this room, you can stand. If you're at home, you can figure that out. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word, for your grace, for your goodness, for your mercy. God, challenge, challenge the way we perceive. Challenge our perception. Challenge our perception. Challenge the way that we think. And challenge us to believe, to apply faith in ways we've never applied it. Because the gospel is from faith, from the first to the last. There'll never be a time when faith isn't required for followers of Jesus. With your head bowed, will you take a moment and ask God what he's saying to you, just where you're at? just where you're at. Say, God, what are you saying to me? And, and listen. Remember, we did the series on hearing God. Let God speak.
would speak to every person. And as we're just praying, we're listening for the Holy Spirit. I just want to give anyone who needs a relationship with Jesus an opportunity. Just an opportunity to accept him, to to press in, to receive, to have faith, to believe. And so if you're in this room, you're like, man, I don't know if I, I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus. I mean, evaluate it. You kind of know. I mean, you'd know if you had a relationship with a person. Like, do you hear? Do you speak? Do you talk to them? Do you listen? You know, with Jesus, it's about are you following him, following his teachings, following his ways, following his wisdom? Because you can't, you can't be the Lord of your own life and him be the Lord of your life. So if he's the Lord, it means you're doing it his way. And if you're not, then you're probably missing out. Because remember, if he has something new for you, it's always better. And his way is better than your way. And so if you want a relationship with Jesus, then I want to invite you just to pray this simple prayer. Really, it's more profession than a prayer. But it's just, Father, Jesus, I believe in you. God, I believe in your son, Jesus. I believe that he died and he rose again. I ask you to forgive me, to cleanse me, to transform me by your spirit, to help me follow you the rest of my life. In your name, amen. And God, I pray as they pray that prayer, God, that you would transform them. God, that you would transform them by your spirit and help them to follow you. And God, for all of our church, for all of us, God, we don't want to miss what you're doing. Help us to perceive it, challenge the way that we think, and cause us to believe as never before. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, can you give Jesus one more praise? He is worth it for sure. Listen, we love you so much. If you need prayer, there's a number on your screen, whether you're in the room or outside of the room. We have people who would love to pray with you no matter what it's about. Just want to encourage you. If you'll, if you'll text prayer to that number, someone will be in touch with you. We'd love to pray with you. Everyone else, we say a big God bless you at home. Thank you for joining us in here. Thank you for being here. God bless you. We will see you Thursday on site for worship. If you're coming, if not, we'll see you next weekend here. God bless you. We love you. Have an amazing week.